All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on 2 Corinthians. In this recording, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. And as always, let's keep the context in mind. Paul feels like he's been backed into a corner and is being his hand is being forced, and so he's decided to humor the Corinthians, especially those who oppose him and especially the detractors who've come in from the outside. And what that means is Paul has decided to boast a little bit because boasting is so important to them. And so at the end of chapter 11, he's engaged in this bit of boasting, right? And that's because all his detractors based on cultural values, think, man, anybody with any any clout and credibility should willingly and gladly share that so people could just trust him and honor him, right? Like, that's, that's the way they thought. And so Paul says, fine. And he engages in what has been called his fool's speech. It's his boast, but it's more like an anti-boast. He boasts in things that make him look weak, things like persecution and hardships and suffering. And then he concludes it by recounting that his ministry started this way. That's where chapter 11 ended. That his ministry actually began this way by suffering the indignity of being chased out of town, fleeing in the dark after being lowered in a basket through a, a window in the wall. That's how all of this began. And so now, here in chapter 12, 1 through 13, Paul continues his fool speech. He continues his boasting. And this time he actually does speak of something that's honorable, something that's incredible, but he does so, interestingly enough, in the third person. And that leaves everyone from the first century till now to wonder, well, is he actually really still talking about himself? And that's really the point. What Paul will gladly and openly boast about regarding himself are things that make him look weak, but it's not the sum total of his experience. And so most scholars believe that Paul is indeed referring to himself here in chapter 12, 1 through 13, even though it's unclear, because that's exactly the point. He does it vaguely because he doesn't see these experiences that he mentions here as something that should really make him stand out in any sort of way. The things he really will boast about are his weaknesses. And so here's what we get in chapter 12, 1 and following. It says this, boasting is necessary, though it's not beneficial. Like, all right, I've had to do it. You forced my hand. You required me to boast, but it's really not it's not beneficial. It's not good for me. I don't, I shouldn't have to do this as he'll actually say at the end, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And when Paul says, I will go on, that implies that he's continuing his fool's speech that he started in chapter 11. And thus he really is describing himself in what follows, even though he does so vaguely and in the third person. And so he says in verse two, I know a man, Paul's going on with his speech, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And so if Paul's talking about himself, which seems likely, particularly as we continue on through this whole section, it even seems more clear that Paul's talking about himself. So if this is Paul, then 14 years ago would put this probably around 40 AD, maybe a little earlier than that, which is not too long after he fled Damascus back to Jerusalem and then fled Jerusalem back to Tarsus. So we're right in the same time period that was mentioned at the end of chapter 11. And when he says, uh, 
whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. What's he getting at by that? Well, what he means by that is, was this a bodily experience? Like, was he actually literally physically caught up into the third heaven? Or was it in a vision? That's what he's getting at. Was this a vision or some sort of physical experience? And when he says the third heaven, that refers to the place where God is, God's realm. The first heaven is the sky. The second heaven is the place where the stars are. And then the third heaven is God's realm. And so that's being very precise about what he's talking about. Paul is actually going to call it paradise in the very next sentence. And so we know what he's talking about. He's talking about God's realm. And so Paul in verse 3 restates and amplifies it again saying this, And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into paradise, that is God's space, and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Paradise is a Jewish way of referring to God's realm, and it's the place where the righteous go when they die. For example, look at Luke chapter 23, verse 43, as another way this word shows up. And so in verses 2 and 3, Paul is recounting an experience in a third-person sort of way, probably referring to himself uh, about either an experience he had or a vision he had of being caught up into paradise, into God's space, and there he experienced inexpressible words, the kind of words that a human being really isn't permitted to speak. It was an incredible, overwhelming, glorious experience of heaven itself. That's what he's talking about. Now, he says in verse 5 then, on behalf of such a man, I will boast. Like, I would boast about that. That's an incredible experience. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except regarding my weakness. And so, is he talking about himself or not? Probably he is. Now, when we get down to verse 7, it seems pretty clear that he is. But he's not going to boast about that experience in regard to himself. He just isn't. That's not the kind of stuff he wants to boast about or he wants to promote about. Regarding himself, the only thing he's going to boast about is in his weakness. He says in verse 6, 4, If I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. That is, he could actually boast about this experience and other experiences like it, the kinds of things maybe his detractors would boast about and they want him to boast about. He could do it and it wouldn't be foolish because it's all actually true. But he's not going to do that. Look at the second half of verse 6. He says, but I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Paul's like, I am not going to boast about those things because I don't want people to overstate who I am, to think more of me than they should. I'm not going to boast about these kind of experiences because it, it draws too much attention to me, and I don't want anyone to give me more credit than what they actually see in me or hear from me. What you see is what you get. That's the way Paul wants it. And what they see is self-sacrifice that looks weak and suffering that looks weak. That kind of stuff that Paul has uh, talked about already in this letter. And so he says in verse 7, because of the extraordinary greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Again, this verse here suggests that he's been describing himself concerning the visions and the revelations that he experienced. And they were so extraordinary, so great, that Paul says, guess what? 
God wanted to actually keep me from exalting myself. And so there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And the way that's worded, given to me, suggests it was given to me under God's oversight, under God's sovereign supervision. And it was given to me for a specific purpose. The purpose was to keep me from exalting myself. He actually states that twice here in verse 7. That's its purpose. And yet, it's a messenger from Satan, he says. Uh, In other words, Even though it's a thorn in the flesh, and even though it was given to him under God's oversight, Paul sees it as, uh, in some sense, having a sinister source. It served a good purpose to keep him from exalting himself, but it had a wicked or evil source as a messenger of Satan. Now, we don't know exactly what he's referring to. Some have suggested maybe it's some sort of character issue, and that's possible, I suppose, but probably it's a physical issue. It's a thorn in the flesh, and flesh here probably doesn't mean like fallen human nature here. It probably means physical, your actual flesh. It was some sort of physical issue, physical ailment, and it's just so vague here, it's hard to figure out exactly what he means. Just recently, February of 2023, there was the first major scholarly book produced on what could the thorn in the flesh be. Scholars have been reluctant to dive into it with any level of seriousness because there's just not a whole lot of data on it. But Kenneth Birding just released a book in February of 2023 uh, where he lists off 20 criteria based on his studies of this passage and other things in Paul's writings that he thinks narrows down what the thorn in the flesh is. And so if you want to dig into all those details, I recommend his book, Kenneth Birding, uh, Thorn in the Flesh, and he uh, really digs into the details of it. But even with that, and even with some of his study, I still think it's very difficult for us to ever have any absolute certainty about what it is. He may have helped us narrow down what it is, and he suggests particular kinds of physical issues. But whatever it was, It was deeply troubling to Paul, it was extremely difficult, and it was really another form of weakness for Paul. And Paul wanted it to go away. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And guess what? Paul's pleading with the Lord. It was so difficult, so hard. He's pleading with the Lord three times that it might leave him. And guess what? He got told no. Jesus thought it was best to leave the thorn in the flesh. So verse 9, And he, that is the Lord, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And so Jesus thought it was best for Paul and for Paul's ministry to leave that thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, to leave it in place. Because Jesus' grace and Jesus' power could thus be manifested in Paul and his ministry in a more full, appropriate sort of way. And how did Paul respond to this answer from the Lord? No, I'm going to leave it. Even if it's painful and difficult and hard and somewhat maybe shameful, I'm going to leave it because my grace, my that is my kindness and my help is sufficient for you because power is perfect in weakness. And how did Paul respond to that? Well, Paul says this, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Catch that. Paul didn't whine. Paul didn't mope. Paul didn't wallow in self-pity. Rather, 
he gladly boasted in his weaknesses. Notice that. Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weaknesses. And that's what Paul has done in the bulk of his full speech. He speaks in vague terms here about this experience. That's not something I'm going to boast about, even though I could, and it wouldn't be foolish because it's true. I'm not going to do that. Um, I will gladly boast about my weakness. Why? Because, here's what he says, so that with the aim that, with the result that, the power of Christ may dwell in me. So Paul's going to boast about his weaknesses, the thorn weakness and all the other weaknesses that he's talked about in this letter. Why? Because he trusted Jesus and he wanted Jesus' power to be manifested in his life. And if that's the way it was going to have to happen, well, I'll trust Jesus. And so Paul concludes in verse 10, therefore, catch this next phrase, therefore, I delight in weakness. I delight in my weaknesses. And then he lists off the kinds of weaknesses he has in mind. But he delights in these things. He says, I delight in weaknesses, in, in, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties on behalf of Christ. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. It's in the midst of these weaknesses, these insults, these hardships, these persecutions, these difficulties, that the power of Christ is manifest in and through me. And so Paul says, I'll delight in those things. And then Paul wraps up his, his boasting, that is his anti-boasting, by saying it should have never happened. Like he, it should have never been needed. They forced his hand and made him do it, but he kind of wishes he didn't have to. So he says in verse 11, I've become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Like, even though his boasting is really anti-boasting, Paul still, still felt foolish about it, wish he didn't have to do it, and he feels like the Corinthians forced his hand, particularly his detractors and his opponents in the church. He says in the second half of verse 11, actually, I should have been commended by you since I was in no respect inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I'm a nobody. And so Paul says, look, you, you guys compelled me, you forced my hand, but in reality, I should have actually been recommended by you. I should have been commended by you since I was in no respect inferior to the most eminent apostles. What does he mean by most eminent apostles? Well, he's probably referring to those people who came into the church from the outside, flashed their letters of recommendation that they said Paul didn't have, but they did, and claimed some type of apostolic authority. That's, that's probably who he's referring to by that. Those super apostles is often the way they are described. It's possible it's broader than that, but that's most likely who he's referring to. And Paul says, even though I'm a nobody, like, I'm a persecutor of Christians drafted by Jesus and empowered by Jesus. That's who I am. And the balance here in Paul's mindset, I think, is really important for us to see. Paul recognizes that um, he's not inferior to the quote-unquote super apostles, even though he's a nobody. So the fact when he says, I'm a nobody, doesn't mean Paul, you know, hangs his head in shame, cowers in a corner, you know, has a, a, a low view of himself. Because he's not lower than or inferior to the super apostles. But he's a nobody in the sense that the only reason he has this power and this position and this authority to preach the gospel is because of the mercy and the grace and the power of Jesus. And so he's got this good balance, this realistic assessment of himself. And he goes on in verse 12 and even says that, look, here's how I know I'm not inferior because the distinguishing marks of a true apostle, my, my credentials as an apostle were evident when I came and preached Jesus to you. So look at verse 12. He says, the distinguishing marks of a true apostle 
were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. And so Paul's like, I was credentialed as a genuine uh, uh, apostle. What was the credentialing marks? Signs, wonders, and miracles. And that's important to note that miraculous abilities are here called marks of an apostle. In fact, when you read the book of Acts, such abilities are regularly tied to the apostles and to those commissioned by the apostles. And so Paul describes those abilities here that way and says that's what credentialed him. And so again, Paul recognizes that he didn't deserve this position. Uh, he didn't earn this position. He didn't have this position by his own you know, ability and charisma and all that. He's a nobody, but he did have the position and he wasn't inferior to any so-called super apostles because of it. In fact, Jesus did his work through him with signs and wonders and miracles. And so Paul says in verse 13, For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself didn't become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. And when he says a burden to you, he means by that requiring them to pay, taking money from them. Like, I didn't treat you inferior to the rest of the churches when I came among you. But I, I didn't take any money from you. I didn't take financial support from you. And if that's so important, well, forgive me this wrong, Paul says with a little bit of sarcasm. And with that, Paul wraps up his fool speech, his anti-boast, boasting in his weaknesses. And so let's just take a second to reflect on this little section before we leave it. And, and really, I think the main thing for us to consider here is this whole idea of power being perfected in weakness, that his Grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And Paul then will boast in his weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in him. And this is an important example and model for us. This is the way of the cross. We are called to take up our cross and follow Jesus. And that entails insults and weakness and hardships and persecutions and suffering. Depending on our context, depending on where we live, it'll look different. But... Um, Weakness and difficulty and hardship are part of what it means to follow and serve Jesus. And what we learn from Paul's example here in this section is that Jesus promised Paul grace sufficient for the day, power sufficient for the suffering. And that's still the pattern for those of us who serve and follow Jesus today. And so we need to learn to get comfortable with weakness, suffering, and hardship because it's through that that Jesus somehow manifests his glory and his power to the world. Uh, so that we, as Paul has said earlier in this letter, we can be a jar of clay, something fragile and vulnerable. And yet, through us and in us, Jesus manifests his glory, his greatness, and his power. And so, may we learn the same lesson that the Apostle Paul learned um, through this word from Jesus, that Jesus' grace is sufficient for us because his power is perfected in things like insults and rejection and suffering and weakness and illness and hardship. And may we live simply not to promote ourselves, but may we promote Jesus and his glory. And if that entails our weakness and our difficulty, then may it be so. Now, those are easy words to say on a podcast recording like this, but I pray it's true for you and for me 
in reality that will deeply and powerfully trust in the grace and the sufficiency of Jesus. All right, thanks for tuning into this session on the Listener's Commentary on the New Testament. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowd-funded Bible teaching ministry that's made possible by the generous support of tons of people just like yourself. So thanks a ton to those of you who support this ministry. And if you want to join the team of supporters, the easiest way to do that is to go to listenerscommentary.com, click the Give button, and that'll redirect you to a page through World Family Mission where you can put in a dollar amount and click a box that says make this monthly, or you can leave it as a one-time donation as well. You can also support this ministry through the Study Hub. All monthly donors, either through the Study Hub or through uh, the Give button, all monthly donors get access to the bonus resources inside the Study Hub, to things like maps and pictures and overview charts of the Bible books, to special word studies and uh, questions that have been asked that I decide to add short little articles to and all of that. And so that's just a simple way that I can say thanks a ton for supporting this ministry. And so thanks in advance to any who sign up as uh, new donors, and thank you to those of you who currently support this ministry. May God bless you for it.